Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turna. Once you use a Turna Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot it's the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we break down all the action happening across the SEC. Regular season play officially in the books. It's time for the conference tournament. And obviously, every season, the SEC conference tournament is filled with intrigue. You have Each degree, each level of the postseason race in play in at this SEC conference. Of course, you've got teams in both the men's and women's sides competing for the right to be top eight seeds. Host not only that opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, but of course that coveted Super Regional Sweet 16 match as well. You've got teams looking to solidify their places as top 16 seeds. And then, of course, those teams fighting for those final spots in the NCAA tournament draw. It is going to be a fascinating few days of play over the next few in the SEC, and we want to break it all down for all of you following at home. Now, unfortunately, we won't have coverage of the event on our Cracked Rackets cross-court cast. Nevertheless, as it is going to be such exciting tennis, we wanted to set the scene for all of you listeners one final time on everything happening in the conference and If you're going to talk about SEC college tennis, there is literally just one man you can turn to to help you do just that. He's the man joining me on tonight's podcast as he has throughout the course of this season. A man you know best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions. Never far from the listed UTR. One of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames and whose website right now is the Alex Damajan freshman year of college resources as we head towards post 
postseason play. It's our friend, the professor, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. I hope, and I know you understand this, that me referring to you as the Alex Damajan freshman year of websites, that's like the highest compliment I can give someone. Always a pleasure to see you, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That's First of all, that's way better than post-prime Greg Maddox. <laughs> and second of all, how could I not be doing fantastic when like 10 minutes ago I heard that Miss Gruskin sent her love my way? <laughs> that's, first of all, Dr. Gruskin to you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, it is always a good night. I appreciate you taking the time to join me here late on Wednesday evening. We wanted to do this before we got too deep into the SEC tournament so that we could, again, tell you what races, what matches you need to be watching most closely over the next few days of play. Before we get into that, A, of course, as always, shout out to our friends at Turner Tennis for their support of this show. You can contact them to learn how to join the Turner team. You can get discounted pricing, free samples, and not just grips, folks, strings, and so much more by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. Today, I'll say this, all of you college coaches, wouldn't it be great to be outfitted by Turner moving forward? Contact them by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. Mention that we here at Cracked Racket sent you. That said, let's have some fun. Let's start with a little bit of trivia here about the conference tournament because the SEC conference tournament, you go back to the annals of history. It started in the 1989-1990 season. Now, at that point, your ponytail, it fit in with the crowd, Chris. You had that young ponytail swinging. You were a good-looking young Chris Halliores on the rise prospect uh, across many different levels. Still maybe a two-star recruit on that year's iteration of the nascent tennis, you know, recruiting.net stages. Um, that said, I want to focus on recent history. And we'll go back, I believe, to the 2016-2017 season or 17-18, Trevor's first year. 15-16. 15-16. So we're going to go all the way back perfect to the 15-16 season. We're going to play a game of trivia there because to ask you to flex your muscles before that, that's unfair. But you have been a guru of all three things SEC tennis since that 2015-2016 season. With that in mind, there have been five conference tournaments played on both the men's and women's side since the 2015-2016 season. Let's start with the men's side to get you feeling confident. Can you name the the tournament champions? Let's start here. Which team has captured the most men's titles in the conference tournament since the 2015-16? Well, it is, of course, Mississippi State. It is indeed. They've captured two back-to-back, 17-18, 18-19. I assume you were going to get those correct. Now, it (laughs) – I was going to make a joke. I'm not going to. I'll say this. I don't think your memory's lost a step, but you're at an age where maybe you're at 90, you know, post-prime Greg Maddox. But that said, I would be shocked if you did not remember last year's champion. Well, I, I got a, it's a good thing you prepped me and gave me like five minutes to think because the old age had set in. So <laughs> the freshman year, freshman year was bugging me until I remembered his first indoor clinch. But no, last year was Tennessee over Florida in that remarkable final. Maybe the best match we've seen in recent college tennis memory with the drama of the Bicknell over, you know, or Bicknell calling that serve out. Wiedemann had begun to celebrate. The Tennessee team had begun to celebrate. And then that chair umpire saying, no, I agree with Blaze's call. And Blaze ultimately wins the match. But Prada comes back to clinch it. Wow. We are officially one year removed from Martin Prada clinching that match. What a year for Martin in the past, you know, 12 months since. And, you know, uh, I think he 
he is slowly rounding into form, but man, wouldn't it be, it'll be interesting to see what he plays here this year after clinching last season. All right, that's 2021. No no tournament in 2020. 2019, your champion? I already said Miss, it. But, Mississippi yeah. State. 2018? Mississippi State. Which of those do you hold sweeter in your heart? Oh, 17 for sure, because it's the year Trevor was the MVP and clinched the match on court six at Alabama. Yeah, and that that 18-19 year, again, I, you know, I a bit that I've retired is calling all these matches the best rivalries in college tennis, but that Tennessee-Florida semifinal, yeah, that, in, that was the best match of the tournament. Yeah, that, like, that was the match, and then it was almost a letdown to get Mississippi State-Tennessee in the final. Yeah, because right? I mean, Mississippi once, State once smacked them right? off. It was yeah, like 4-1. Yeah, Four one and Nuno yeah. clinched it over Timo. Yeah, yeah, that was again. Oh, the early days. Um, and that was Dalton wedding season. That's Florida losing in the semifinals to Texas. A match I'll never, you know, yeah. again golf course post wedding. I was like, no freaking. I was like, I'm gonna have to podcast about this tonight. I remember that's what I was thinking. Is like, I'm not gonna be able to leave because I have to do this podcast. Um, all right, 2016-17. This is where we're flexing the brain. Yeah, 16. Oh, that's easy. So that's that is uh, that's at Tennessee, and Georgia beats Mississippi State in the final, mm-hmm. and that's where I get my famous Manny quote to Emil Reinberg of "If you hit more one one more ball to his effing forehand, you can find somewhere else to play." Uh, that was, uh, I mean, talk about hard headed, but yeah, he wasn't wrong either. Yeah, that was a great match. But yep, Georgia Georgia knocks off uh, Mississippi State in the final there. That year. So they made three straight finals. Shout out to the Bulldogs. Correct. And yeah, semifinal, and- I believe it's semifinal freshman year. Yeah. Not- and and that 16-17 Georgia team makes the NCAA semifinals. And that was the Zelinsky Lobe, you know, that that's pre-bride. At, yeah, that, that when they still had Austin Smith, I think. No, Austin. No, he, that was one year gone from that. Yeah, exactly. Still had Montgomery. Yeah. Oh, oh man, Wayne Montgomery. God, shout out to the flashback. This is worth making the pod worth it at this hour, if nothing alone, that we had a Wayne Montgomery reference. All right, this was the one we thought we might buzz you. Uh, we might get you here. Who won it his freshman year? Yeah, you got me. I think I know who won, but Team I remember. lost to Virginia in the NCAA tournament, which was at Oklahoma State. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was took, 15, 16. It, it took me a minute to remember because this was, this was at South Carolina. That was the, that's what I had to remember was where was it at? At South Carolina. I remember the huge rain delay that caused <laughs> us to play at like a nine or 10 PM match against Kentucky indoors. Trevor's never won a match indoors in his life. Literally <laughs> never in his life. Freshman. He's a freshman in college has not won a match indoors plays a buddy, Jake Stefanik from Kentucky uh, in a match where they play singles first because it's so late and he wins and clinches the match there uh, for them. They go on to lose to Georgia. I remember that distinctly because I remember watching Nuno against Oosterbahn yeah. and I'm sitting there talking to Nuno during the, Nuno move your legs. He would yeah. not move. He starts moving. And by the end of the match, I swear to God, Oosterbahn is saying, I don't know what to do. This guy's destroying my second serve. I can't do anything like Nuno just killed him. Like he he couldn't do anything, but Georgia wins the match. They go on, they play Florida. I think Florida won that match. Is that your final answer? So I'm going Florida. 
Correct. Good for you, Chris Halioris. You still got it. Westoff, give him some sort of celebration sound effect. That was a hard-earned trivia victory. Now, let's see how he does on the oh. women's side. We're going to go all the way back. And here's the thing. It's dual sight. So it is tough to monitor both at the same time, particularly uh, when you are as invested as you were in the one site. That said, can you go back? Who won it last year? I have zero Zero expectations, but certainly by year, I'm going to get nothing. Okay. I'm just going to say that my favorite team, I'm, I'm going to go with, with the question of who's won the most. And I don't even know if they won any, but I'm going to go with my favorite pair to watch, which had to be Astra Sharma and Fernanda Contreras at the top and say Vandy had to win at least one or two in that run. Shout out to Chris Halliores. They've won three. In, ah. in since that uh, three since 2015, two since that 2015 uh, 16 season last year. Come on, you know who won it last year. They were dominant in the SEC. This was, yeah, I mean, it had to be Georgia. Yeah, the Katarina Jokic era. Now, fun fact, and here's my help for you that's the only SEC tournament championship in the Jokic era, which is shocking given how successful Georgia was. You imagine they win in 2020, but 2019, it was not Georgia. This team made a Cinderella run at this SEC tournament. Well, I honestly have no idea, but because of just it wasn't remembering. It was really Cinderella, by the way, but it wasn't as expected. I was going to say just, just remembering things, and I don't even know if that was that year, but remembering, say, Eden Richardson, maybe I'll go LSU. Mm, good guess, South Carolina. South oh. Carolina 2019. Oh, they had a great, yeah, that was a, that, yeah. yeah. That Very snuck up on you, was sneaky excellent. Mia Horvitt, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, 2018? Vandy. Good guess, correct. 2017? I mean, you told me they won three, so I'm hoping that's the no, Vandy all the way No, but back. they won 2015 was their third, which I was looking a year ah. sooner. So, But they've won two, which is the most. What was the second one for Vandy? Is it 17 or 16? I'll say 16. Incorrect. It was oh, 17? 17, which I believe Florida goes on to win the NCAA tournament that year, which was I was going to say then my other guess is going to be Florida. For who the is other the 2016 one. champions. That's what the history looks like. Is that like. Dan Alina in the back? I believe so. Yes, I believe that's that team. And it was great to talk to Roland about his best. Brooke Florida Austin, maybe. Yeah, yeah, when we spoke. Yeah. And uh, and Kelly, uh, I'm blanking on the last name. But uh, Keegan, I think. Or Courtney Keegan, not Kelly Keegan. Courtney Keegan. I'm thinking of Kelly Keller. Look. There are a lot of names in my head nowadays. I'm turning into Chris, I admit it. Um, all right, that's your history for the SEC tournament. With that said, and of course, we're going to look at these draws with the rankings in mind. With all due respect to the women's tournament, which I think as you look at teams one through – or excuse me, teams honestly two through 10, two through 11 – the field is far more interesting, and there are far more NCAA implications. I think our, things are a little bit more straightforward on the men's side, but I think the action is more intriguing at the top. So let's start there on the men's side. And again, for this SEC tournament, how it works, there's one first-round match, dare we say, in this event, all the other teams get a bye to the second round. That first-round match happened today. It was Alabama taking on Vanderbilt. This Vanderbilt team was 12-1 and in non-conference play, and I know 2-11, and obviously, look, you have to win matches to get into the NCAA tournament. We got, you, that's just the standard. You have to judge everyone by, and you can play a ton of close matches in the end. If you don't earn victories, that's what counts. That said, 
you look at this 14 and 12 record, you look at the 2 and 11 record in conference play. That includes a 4-3 loss to LSU. That includes a 4-3 loss to Kentucky. It includes a 4-3 loss to Tennessee. They played everyone close throughout the course of this season. And as such, they were a team we circled as very interesting to watch coming into this postseason tournament. That said, you know, they're number 49 in the current rankings, projected at number 54 even before today's only first-round match against Alabama. But unfortunately for Vanderbilt fans— that chance of reaching the SEC uh, of reaching the NCAA tournament now probably officially out of grasp as Vanderbilt drops a 4-3 decision to an Alabama team that may not have earned a conference victory during regular season play, but they were frisky all year long. And you look for this Alabama team, despite dropping the doubles point, they you know earned three set victory at the number four spot, get straight set wins at one two, and you know again ultimately at five, it's the transfer Juan Martinez from TCU earning the clinch in the end. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Glass half full, boy, after coming so close all season long, Alabama, who's 9-20 and overall in the year, what a feel-good ending for them here in postseason play. On the flip side, I mean, that's the story for this Vanderbilt team, right? They came awfully close. They were very good in doubles throughout the course of the season, but ultimately, in the end, they were just constantly just one point short yeah i it, i mean definitely unfortunate look the ncaa tournament aspirations for for vandy were long shots to begin with because they were going to need to win i mean they this was a you know just a must win obviously they had to beat this had to beat alabama but they were in in like with 90 percent certainty going to have to win another match after that to make the tournament and that's tennessee so Unlikely as it may have been, it it's a moot point now because they don't even get the opportunity. But it was it was going to be a, a tough road to hoe for them. But yeah, you know, I know you had followed them pretty closely. One of the best, uh, you know, two in ten regular season SEC <laughs> teams that you're ever going to see. Uh, they just couldn't pull it. They all played all those close matches and just couldn't couldn't pull one off. Uh, and but then to lose it this way. Uh, the only thing that the only thing that makes me feel good about this is I I know and I didn't want you to go digging these quotes back out from early in the year. I said, "Look, Alabama is going to beat somebody. Yeah. Like they're, they're not going to go winless in the SEC." Well, they did. Thankfully, they they vindicated themselves to some extent here in, in the tournament. But yeah, it's just I mean they've got they're super young. It's all new faces, including transfers like Juan Martin, uh, but young guys. Uh, that that are just new to some of them new to college and and a couple of guys like like Cacavalta that have been around for a while but there's too much talent on that team to frankly to have gone 0 and 12 in the regular season they should have come, you know found a win or two during the regular season not totally shocked that they came up with this but uh but yeah that it's a nice win for them I'm sure they're still not pleased they would they would love to go in and give Tennessee a great fight tomorrow Six of Alabama's conference losses were 4-2 or closer. I mean, it's not as though they didn't come close in a bunch of their matches. Now, it's interesting as you look for this Vanderbilt team, you know, 
fifth years Max Freeman and George Harwell are gone, and they were both contributors in a doubles lineup that went 37 and 27 overall in dual match play, was 15 and 8 at the one spot, 11 and 8 at the three spot. You know, they won more doubles points than they lost in conference play. That's what kept them in so many matches. Now, Harwell and Freeman were combined 22 and 26 this year in singles. At the same time, they were playing, you know, the number one spot, number four spot. They were top half contributors. Certainly, you're going to feel that lost. Ferreira is a senior, but I believe he still has one more left. And so that's the question is, can they get him back? The thing they have to build off of, Jobert Klopper, 15-9 and nine overall this year. Slim Troost, 15-7 and seven overall this year. Guys like Casabone and Ross, you know, they had – oh, the other one they lose, I believe, is, is Sissom. Um, and or, who is a senior, but I think he might have one more. And he was eight and one in dual match play. But if he has one more year again, you you might bring him back as well. This nucleus did enough that next year they have to make the conference or they have to make the NCAA tournament. Like, yeah, you lose Freeman and Harwell, but with the recruits you bring in, with the core you bring back. So I guess it, the question is, if Ferreira and Sissom come back and have that fifth year, you have to make the NCAA tournament, right? Like this core has proven enough. Uh, I mean, look, if, if systems in the lineup, I don't feel great. I mean, he's that, he's a guy that should be he should be battling much like he was this year, probably, at, you know, to play to find a six. So spot. the brightest spot in the Vanderbilt lineup was six where they were 17 and seven, 70, you know, 71 percent win percentage. Nowhere else really, you know, 15 and nine at two fine. But everywhere else, they're about 500. That was the problem, right? They'd find doubles at least one more. It was points three and four. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and that's the, the problem is now in having to replace Freeman and Harwell every, you know, if you don't replace them up in the spots they're in, everybody's sliding up a couple spots. Yeah. It gets a lot tougher. It's, it's not going to be an easy road, uh, you know, replacing those guys for sure. Here's They've the been thing. a staple for five years. 12 and one in non-conference play. You get that win over Cornell. You get that win over Northwestern. You know, you start out with a win at Arkansas in conference play. Things were rolling uh, all the way through February. It was a really, you know, again, they had their chances these last two months. This was a really fun Vanderbilt season. In the end, though, it comes down to a few deuce points. That's the margins in today's college tennis, particularly with the depth we see. At the same time, Alabama advances now in the SEC tournament. And they're, again, overall on the season, 9-2500 and rule, ranked wins. You know, they're not getting in uh, to the tournament. But let's look more broadly now at this uh, SEC tournament, and you look on the men's side, our second-round matchups are set. Arkansas A&M, Ole Miss-Auburn, Tennessee-Alabama, LSU-Mississippi State. I'm going to let you pick. Which of these is most intriguing? Which of these, uh, again, in your mind, should fans be locked into? Um, well, I mean, I think ten- Tennessee obviously should handle Alabama. <laughs> I'm not going to be surprised if Bama puts up uh, a little bit of a fight, but much more than 4-1 and a couple close matches that might go three sets. I, I wouldn't expect that. Um, you know, Ar- Arkansas made it a close match early in the year with AM. I I remember watching that match at AM and Arkansas took the doubles point. I think that's going to be, I mean, it, that's a stretch probably. I think AM uh, is at this point in the, in the season probably – uh, probably the better team and ought to ought to come through there. I think that the two the two closest seated matches, the eight nine and the seven ten, 
uh, will be more interesting. I'm really thinking that that 7-10 match between Auburn and Ole Miss is probably the most interesting only because Auburn went into Ole Miss and smacked them 6-1. Ole Miss is not, you know, that's not going to be lost on those guys. So there's going to be, you know, just a little extra in the guys for that match, if you will, that you probably don't see in some of these others. That wasn't that long ago. And definitely when you're such a good home team like Ole Miss is and somebody like Auburn, who is has traditionally not been one of the better teams in the, the past few seasons, comes in and beats you like that, they're going to be out for blood. So I expect a really, really good match there. They might have caught them a little off guard coming into their own court and, and beating them like they did. They're not going to be caught off guard this time. Yeah, I think that's a good pick, and I want to get to that. Let's, again, so we can put this match to bed quickly, and we'll talk about Tennessee a little bit later. The only question is what lineup do you play? Do you go with Prada? Do you go with Gannon? What do you want to do at the number six spot? Monday is back, and obviously how healthy he is is a massive question for this Tennessee team heading into May. But to your point, they didn't only just beat you know Alabama 7-0. They beat them 7-0 five days ago, and five of the six singles matches were decided in straight sets. Yeah, I agree with you. Tennessee's going to advance. That said, if you're Alabama, you get some confidence, some positivity uh, to end your season with a win over Vanderbilt. I agree with you. In Auburn and Ole Miss, you have two teams that on paper— well, I think Auburn's happy with its season. And Auburn right now, 18-9 and overall, currently ranked 30th, projected number 29. They're into the NCAA tournament. This was a massive building block year for head coach Bobby Reynolds and this team who bring back just about everyone uh, next season. And that's the year where you feel like, okay, now we can make a Sweet 16 push. Now we can really do some damage and maybe even challenge for a conference title. And at this moment, Chris Helios is putting on his Auburn bucket hat, which I love. I mean, the only guy they lose is Tad McLean, who, of course, is one half of the defending NCAA finalists, but this team has been pretty successful just about everywhere. Eight and nine overall on the season, five and seven in conference play. But again, you contextualize the losses, 4-3 at Arkansas, 4-3 at Kentucky, 4-3 against a team that will not be named but rhymes with Mississippi State, 4-3 at Georgia. I mean, again, four of their seven losses were 4-3. They were there against just about everyone. At the same time, this old Miss team figured that was the season that they were going to have. Because you look at this old Miss team who overall on the season, you know, 16 and 11, and they're 31 in the current rankings, one spot behind Auburn, 32 in the projected rankings. And yet you look for this old Miss team four and eight in conference play. You know, their losses A were a little bit more lopsided. Their only four three loss came four three against Kentucky. A lot of the other ones were six ones or five twos. And, you know, again, wasn't quite as close as this Auburn team was playing. At the same time, you look at this Ole Miss team, they brought back pretty much everyone from last year's round of 16 squad. Yeah, they lost Tim Sandcolan, but Reynolds was back. Slavic was back. Hallquist Lithin was back. Simon Junk was that. Soren Hain was back. Englehart was back. We even saw Cadeno at times last season. He was back. Again, other than Sandcolan, who was their number one guy and, you know, was a PTP, right? In the big matches, you knew Sandcolan's not going out in straights. He's going at least in three sets, and him and Reynolds are going to do some fun sh- 
at that number one double spot. Sorry, it slipped out. That, But you have to swear, right, when you're talking about San Cullen and Reynolds because they were those sorts of guys uh, as a doubles team, one of, the, uh, one of the underrated pairings probably in recent memory in college tennis. You're all SEC guru. You can confirm. I think 4-8 and eight is a disappointment. I think if you're this Ole Miss team, your expectation was let's host a Super Regional. Let's get back to that Sweet 16 and, you know, a, this Auburn match is a must-win if they want to do that. But if Ole Miss is going to be top 16, Chris, you know, you're looking for them. They not only have to beat Auburn tomorrow, they probably, you know, they not probably, probably have they have to beat South Carolina. And then, yeah, they'd have to beat Kentucky. And then maybe you're talking about them. And that's like a dream scenario. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they're they're in that range of hosting. It's it probably is win the entire SEC tournament. I don't I don't even know that getting to the finals would necessarily be enough. That it it, it would be enough to to look and see how close they were. But yeah, no, you're right. Disappointment, not and not just a disappointment based on the record, but but as you alluded to, a disappointment based on how they lost. I mean, the matches they lost, it wasn't like they were losing a bunch of four three matches. They just you know. They got beat up, and whether that's in in those matches like a six one loss to to Auburn, right? Whether that's just because the guys' hearts weren't in it, they just got flat out beat. I I don't know, but def either either way, uh, it's disappointing for them. And you know, after the start, they host kickoff weekend, they win their region, they make it to indoors. You know, you're off to a decent start. And I think they even like early started okay in the SEC, and then the whole mid win midway through the season, it all just like all the the wheels just fell off. And uh, and yeah, they they finished a little. I mean, anytime you can finish beating in state rival Mississippi State at Mississippi State, that that has got to help. But so with that in mind, year. my theory on them, and I know you're a big NBA fan, so you'll love this. Um, they're the Atlanta Hawks, where. With all due respect, like the Atlanta Hawks throughout the regular season, Trey Young's out there. You know, they make the conference finals last year from out of nowhere. And that's one year, one result. Trey Young's still a young guy ascending. You know, Atlanta's trying to establish themselves as the elite of the elite. They treated this regular season like it was a joke. Like they were tan- – they're like, get us to the postseason. Like this stuff doesn't matter. It's like you're an eight seed. You don't get to say this stuff doesn't matter. I think there's a little bit, and then to their credit, they turned it on in the playing games, right? They ultimately clinched that number eight seed, and you know they've played two fun games in their first. Oh, the first one wasn't as fun, but the second game was very fun against Miami. This Ole Miss team has that sort of quality to it, where there's a world where Finn Reynolds says, "All right, guys, like now it's go time. Like, great, we're in the NCAA tournament." We are dangerous because we know like our core has gotten to the Sweet 16 before. And now all of these matches matter. And to me, that's the thing where I look at this Ole Miss team against an Auburn team that is still young, right? Is still on the ascension. I know they've got a bunch of juniors, but this is the first year really, you know, this Auburn team is a is in the mix where they feel like they should be in the second rounds and maybe challenging for a semifinal spot versus an Ole Miss team that is as calloused as they come. 
I'm very happy you highlighted this match. This is the prove it for Ole Miss. If they're going to be, if they win this match, they are officially on frisky alert. Like they are the team I would be so scared of in round two of the NCAA tournament because this team, they went to Stanford. You know, Finn Reynolds was part of that team that went to Stanford and beat that Stanford team to get to the Sweet 16. They make the Sweet 16 last year as well. This is a team that does it in the postseason. I am fascinated by Ole Miss because this is the last go round for Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's that's tough for me. I I agree with everything you're saying. I always have a hard time, especially in tennis, with guys that are you know with, with making Turn an argument that that yeah, I'm not really because nobody goes out there and says like yeah, I don't really care. I'm not going to try. But I mean, to some extent, yes, and yeah, you can really really focus, but. But no one's ever going out there, you know, barring a few notable exceptions and completely tanking a match. So I think it's, I mean, you know, it, it's sort of the adage of, you know, if you can't do it in practice, you can't do it in a match. And sure. and I think that that kind of holds for me here that, that yes, they, they definitely have the talent and they have the experience that if all the guys are really, really on and, and, and focused that they can beat a lot of really good teams. I just don't see any sustained run because I don't, you know, you haven't been able to put it together all year. I, I don't see how you just flip the switch and all of a sudden, Oh yeah, we're like last year now. I, I don't see that coming. So, but I do think this is a great, it's a great match. I mean, again, in any one match, they're very dangerous. My counter argument to that would be in the only match of the season that really mattered, they beat Mississippi state. It's like they're one and zero in matches that matter this season. It's like now things actually matter. That would be the argument in oh. favor of this Ole Miss team. The jogging, not running, but maybe they will be running into this <laughs> postseason Rebels. Um, here's the thing with Auburn: they're good everywhere, other than the six singles spot and doubles. They're not really great. Now they are great at doubles, forty-five and twenty-one overall on the season. Stice and McLean, uh, Stice and McLean, Merchant and McLean have backed it up. They're sixteen and five overall on the year. This team's also twelve and five at the number two spot. Now thirteen and ten at three, but they find doubles points. They're also eighteen and five at the number six single spot. And yeah, they lost a tight one there to Georgia last weekend, but they were right there in that match against Georgia. Again, it's the ultimate litmus test for an Ole Miss team that at 31 in the rankings, show me how good you are. I agree with – like, again, they yeah, have it, sort of slept walk through this season. Yeah, you've got the sleepwalking veterans against yeah. the the up-and-coming, like, first-year Auburn's really been – you know, and they're they're actually the favorite in the match, yeah, right? Exactly. Because, but the first year that anybody's expected anything out of them in a long time, and now they have to come and back it up. And, and yeah, so that – to me, that is the that's the most intriguing match of you know the Thursday rounds, if you will, uh, for the men. I hope we get to do more of these conference specific podcasts next season because we don't get to nerd out about about Ole Miss at all on this year's deciding points. And it's like <laughs> yeah. I feel like you and I had a good six minutes on Ole Miss in us, just like waiting to come out, and we finally had the chance to do it. <laughs> you know the 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 great co- you know the great corollary you made there was in in comparing Ole Miss to the Atlanta Hawks is the attendance at both matches and games is about the same. <laughs> Equally rowdy crowds, and guess what? Both end up in the strip clubs. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no. All right. With that said, Arkansas, they are one of those teams right now outside of the cutoff line 
14 and 13 overall in the season, 51 in the rankings. They certainly have a massive opportunity tomorrow against Texas A&M. Look, on paper, we how many times do we say this? It's like with with you know uh, obviously at the number one spot you feel pretty good uh, if you're uh, if you're Arkansas against anyone but the depth they have and you pointed this out in um, Melvin Manuel and how well he's played lower in the lineup and just you know in theory the idea of having uh, Buchan at that number six spot you're like all right we should get good obviously Reco again at one has been solid Rousset has been solid they've been pretty good in doubles as well. It's a really young Texas A&M team. First conference tournament, you know, again, Arkansas is desperate for this victory. You picking an upset or no? No. (laughs) Well, here's the other thing, too. And and I think most of these guys actually, we hear it, look on it. So this isn't like to, to, you know, brag on the site or anything, but they all use the site. If you go in, you put the data in the site. A win over AM does not get Arkansas in the tournament. Really? They've got to beat AM and they've got to beat Kentucky. Okay. I don't think that's lost on the guys at this point either. Uh see so that's no, that's borderline overwhelming. That's not desperation. That's like overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like holy cow, can I mean, can like, you know. You always talk about you gotta you, you gotta it's forget you you can't pretend you can't say oh yeah I believe we can you have to really really believe and you know if I ask you do you think the guys on the Arkansas team in their own hearts really 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 believe they can beat A and M and Kentucky back to back I don't think so uh, uh, I, and that's not at a neutral site right I mean see, that's, but this Arkansas team here's the thing we never got the big Arkansas weekend like yeah we had some pretty solid results for this Arkansas team throughout the course of the year who again 14 and 13 three and nine in conference play but you know earned some pretty good victories four three against Mississippi State and you know beat Alabama but then their four three win over Auburn their signature victory on the season we never saw it back to back from the script I'm sure they'd love that rematch with Kentucky yeah and now they want it back to back and you mentioned it a four three loss against Kentucky that match coming down to the clinch I believe it was Draxel in the end who clinches in the third set over Reco at one it was indeed six four in the third that's a good point okay good call Chris Hallioris your memory does still work now I'm kind of buying in all right, let's look. What was their score against AM earlier this season? They lost at AM 4 3. 4 3, yeah. Okay. Interesting. If you're going to get up, for, so you say, do we believe we can beat these teams? Here's the difference it was 4 3 in both matches. I think yeah, you I'll... can say, yes, we do believe we can beat these teams. So that is, that's where it doesn't aim overwhelming. Now they're back in the hungry category. Ooh, I'm going to pick them to get the upset. I think they do it. I think they beat A&M. I do not think they beat Kentucky, though. The only thing I really want to know is, does Luke Casper <laughs> go to Noah Schachter? Hey, I'd really love to know how you beat Buchan. Oh, but wait, he beat you last year. Do you think that <laughs> Luke Casper goes to Noah Schachter? I love you, Noah. Let's be clear. And Mrs. Shaq, you know I love you. No, see, I was going to make a joke, but they're such supporters of the show. Yeah. But, like, yeah. all right, trash no, talk I- is inherent in tennis. It's inherent. Do you think Luke goes to Noah and is like, hey, do you think if we trade positions, you could do as well as I do, and then yeah. I would do as well as you do? Yeah. Like, uh, just, like, that's the smack talk I would – that's what I would say. But, but you know, that is – a to me, that is one of the key ma- – like, 
that's a strong spot for Arkansas. I mean, obviously Melvin Manuel is really good at five. Buchan is just a very un, you know, very underrated, a guy that has big potential. We've talked about this before. He beat Noah Schachter last year. He beat Luca Wiedemann last year. Luke Casper has been one of the bright spots at six in the AM lineup. The fact that those two guys in all likelihood, and I haven't, I, I didn't even look at what the submitted lineups were, but I would assume that they're both, at, you know, playing six. That's a, that's a big point in that match right there. So uh, that could be a key spot. You know, Arkansas did manage to take the doubles point at AM. I think that's crucial for them, for them to have a shot in this match. I think they need to do that again. Uh, and then get it to where they've only got to take three of the singles matches. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it'll be a dogfight. I'm not going to pick the upset, though. To be clear, Reco Schachter is going to be a toss up. And Noah's been great this season at the number one spot. And we've talked about it all year long how AM's a year away from being one of those teams in the country because everyone's coming back for the Aggies next season. You know, again, them and Auburn. They well, South. It's funny because South Carolina is very good. I, I'm so fascinated to see what's going to happen with Florida's roster this off season because the it's entire like, lineup could be gone. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like if Tanner go, oh Tanner is going, and it's like I f- they honored Riffis on Senior Day. Like if he wins or whatever it is, if the team wins, you feel like there's a world where Shelton goes pro. Riffis leaves to whatever it may be. You know, Vale graduates, Andrade graduates, Seymour's gone. Goodger is I. Goodger is the Benjamin Button of college tennis, so he even freaking knows about him. But yeah, it's like Axel uh, Axel Neve is going to show up and be like, "Wait, this is this isn't what I signed up for." Do we, do we go left? Do do we go more lefty lefty? Is is it Neve Benetto at one two next year? <laughs> uh, Greif? Greif? Is he playing what three? Does Rife have another year after this? Uh, in God's eyes, yeah, because Riffis does too, right? Because Riffis technically has another year, and I'm pretty sure they're the same recruiting class. So Greif must as well. Um, I mean, it is going to be fast. So with that in mind, again, you look at these first round matchups, and we didn't talk about your Mississippi State uh, guys, who obviously they've got a tricky first round match as well as they're going to take on an LSU team that currently 42 in the rankings, 39 the projected rankings, 14 and 10 overall. LSU's a really good team. And again, between Homan and Hunter and Kozlov and Diaz Frere, they've just got options at various different parts of their singles lineup. They're pretty solid in doubles as well. I mean, Mississippi State beat them, I believe. Uh, I want to say at in LSU. Bat- yeah, yeah, I was going to say in Baton Rouge. We had the call for that match. You can, how concerned? What's the panic scale? Mississippi State 14, 11, 34 in the rankings. Yeah, look, I mean, I think this is, I, I think this match is, is all, all about LSU, honestly. I mean, Mississippi State should be, they should be safe for a, for a tournament bid. So not a lot on the line. Both schools have to be looking at it going, oh my gosh, Florida, the next match, it's, you know, probably the end of the road. So we're trying to fight out a win. It's LSU that needs the win. They are the team on the bubble. The the loss could knock them out. I don't think it knocks Mississippi State out. To be to be safe, Mississippi State would certainly want to win the match, uh, and 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 that would you know absolutely cement them as being in. But but I think Mississippi State's in no matter what. LSU's only in if they win in all likelihood. So it's a it's a big match for LSU, and I think that's the. You know, that's where all the pressure is. Outside of that, I don't, you know, 
it's not all to me it's not all that interesting because i i think either way the winner loses to florida and it's and mississippi state's in so it's just a matter of can lsu fight you know can they go steal a bid from somebody else in the tournament with a with a win tomorrow all right with that in mind here's how we're going to look at the top four seeds and how we're going to incorporate the rest of the way give me the matchup you most want to see of all the potential matchups here at this sec postseason tournament tell and then i mean we have done the kentucky south carolina georgia conversation every week throughout the course of the season we're not doing that again i will ask you in let's start here actually Power ranking, likelihood of becoming a top eight seed, Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, because I think we both agree Florida and Tennessee have clinched it. Those three teams, give me the power in, in terms of in decreasing likelihood of it happening, given most likely to least likely, who's who, who can be a top eight seed, what needs to happen? Um, I would say it's in order of seed right now. It's South Carolina, Kentucky, Georgia. Um, okay. Now... Now, you know, you know, assuming that South Carolina and Kentucky hold hold court and win their first round match, they get to they, they get to play each other. Uh, and effectively, at that point, you know, obviously only the winner could have a chance and will have a good chance because they get, you know, they'll get a win. They're sitting at nine ten, So they have a good chance to jump to eight with a win. South Carolina, it's just not a great matchup for Kentucky because South Carolina is really good at doubles where Kentucky struggles. South Carolina has a really good number one, which is the strong point, you know, for Kentucky. They've beaten them twice. It's just not a great, now, as I know you would love to say, it's really hard to beat a team twice. It's super hard to beat a team three times. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree. Young Padawan. Yeah, I I agree. But I think, you know, I, you, you got to go with the history there and give the edge to South Carolina. Now the advantage Georgia has in likelihood prospects is they should get Tennessee. You know, they're they're the only one that's going to get a huge point match in that, in their first match, right? Kentucky's going to get potentially an A&M, you know, A&M or Arkansas, South Carolina gets Auburn or Old Miss, Florida gets LSU, Mississippi State. None of those worth worth tons of points. Georgia, Tennessee, big points on the line. Georgia sitting at 11, that's an opportunity for them to really make a good push up uh, if they get that win. So that's a big help for them. Uh, and it's a home match, which makes it to me, that is the most intriguing second round match should it happen. I expect Tennessee to win, which means that we, you know that we would get that match. Georgia, Tennessee at Georgia, by far the most intriguing quarterfinal match to me in the tournament. And yeah, if Georgia manages to win that, we'll see. I haven't plugged it in. It's got to put them right on the verge. But still, given that Kentucky, South Carolina, one of them has to win, uh, assuming they both win their first match, that winner still has the edge in becoming top eight. For me, Tennessee is the old Miss story on steroids. This team, the first month and a half, two months through the national indoors mattered so much to this Tennessee squad because last year they were the upstart. Last year that was the proof, you know, it was the, who is this Tennessee team? What are they doing? They won the conference tournament. They just made the NCAA semifinals. They were two deuce points away from knocking off Baylor and making it an SEC tournament final rematch in the NCAA tournament final, legitimizing themselves on that stage. 
I mean, that matter, the urgency this team played with at the National Indoors, you could feel it palpably in the, you know, uh, Nordstrom Tennis Center in Seattle, Washington. Then conference play starts. And with all due respect, conference play doesn't matter to this, you know, regular season play. Yes, it matters, of course, to this Tennessee team. But when Monday goes down with injury and you're still trying to work Prada back and just all of the different things that happen to this team through the course of the season, you can punt on an SEC regular season and it doesn't matter because you have postseason play ahead of you. But now we're here and Monday is healthy. And Prada is what he is. There's no more time to play that out. You got to make your choice. Gannon, Prada, what are we doing with the lineup? Mitsui is probably your SEC freshman of the year. And obviously, HUD, he works. Diaz, you, it is, you know you know what you're getting with Diaz. You feel pretty good with him, particularly with your team healthy back in the you know bottom three of the lineup. All of these things matter now to this Tennessee team. And now is the time to prove it again, like you did at the start of the season, to play with that urgency. Our energy, our pedigree is going to get us back to that stage. Well, they're going to have to run the gauntlet. Georgia, then Florida, then likely that Kentucky, South Carolina winner. They will be the only team that has to beat three out of the Power Five, you know, top teams in the SEC to win the conference title. If they do that, they become the team with the most momentum on their side entering the NCAA tournament. And that's just, again, a reminder of how dangerous this Tennessee team can be when healthy. But now it's prove-it time, and you do have some guys coming off of injury, and Monday was so good through the first six weeks of the season. Do you need him to get back to that level or have the progressions from HUD, from Mitsui, whatever is you're going to get at six? Can that bridge the gap so you don't need that much pressure on him? Um, it, it's going to be fascinating. And, like, with all due respect, Florida-Tennessee is never the undercard. That is the best rivalry right now in men's college tennis. And so that's the matchup I want to see most. You're absolutely right. Kentucky, South Carolina has had Kentucky's number this year. And yet we continue to say we like Kentucky's ceiling a bit more than this South Carolina team. We'll prove it, Kentucky. Go beat South Carolina. It's really hard to beat a team three times in one season. Go prove it to me. Like, that is why the men's tournament, with all due respect, is more interesting than the women's side because I think the women's side is going to turn into a Texas A&M coronation. I think the Aggies are that much better, I've seen with my eyes, than the rest of the SEC women's field this year. Florida's been running the gauntlet. They have been the top dog, and they are the top dog entering postseason play across conferences in Division I men's college tennis. But they are still going to have to run through a brutal test just to win their conference tournament. And in 2019, we learned their struggles against Tennessee were a forewarning of what we saw in the later stages of the NCAA tournament. I mean, again, a hungry Tennessee team, a hungry Kentucky team, a hungry South Carolina team, hungry Georgia. It's going to be really fun. Give me your prediction. I mean, I, there's no way I'm not picking Florida. Uh, I mean, look, but the, you know, the the funny thing is, it, even all the good teams they've had, and we've talked about this, uh, you know, they haven't won. You know, it's been back to 2016 since they won the since they won the SEC tournament. Um, you know, outside of the fact that it's an SEC tournament title, and you know, who knows how much that means to the guys. It doesn't really, 
you know, take that factoid out of it. You know, if you whether whether an SEC tourney title means something to you or not, it's not that relevant. They're going to be a top eight seed, win or lose. Uh, so I don't know that there's, you know, they they could be potentially ripe for an upset from somebody because there's not a lot in it for, for them unless they just have the pride to want to win an SEC tournament, right? They're going to be a top eight seed in the NCAA tournament. They're, you know, they're, they're in, they're hosting a super regional, no matter what, uh, you know, the only team in, you know, they're the team in most danger there, Tennessee tomorrow, if they lose, could lose their super regional host. If they lose to Alabama, that would be bad. But outside of that, well, you know, we're talking about teams like Florida and Tennessee that are, they're, they're going to be top eight teams. So, and then, Kentucky, South Carolina winner will battle for that top eight spot. But yeah, I don't know. I still think Florida wins. I mean, Florida's <laughs> I, to me that Georgia Tennessee match is, is the, is the big one. I don't really, like you said, it would be amazing to see a, a Florida, Tennessee, you know, Florida, Tennessee, again, in the semifinals against each other. Will, will blaze be in the stands? I don't know, but <laughs> uh He's probably at a future somewhere, yeah. but, uh, uh, but I just, man, I tell you what, not knowing the health of Monday, like you said, I do think Joe Monday's got to be back to 95 plus percent of what he was before he went out with injury. See, I need him at 93%. I need him at an A. I don't need yeah. him at, you know, a minus isn't going to cut it. I need the 93 yeah, I mean, to for them to beat Georgia at Georgia, yeah, is hundred you know, percent. Yep, he's got to be there. I uh, the whole Prada thing. I you know, I I don't even know. It is what it is. It's you know, they may play Gannon, they may play, play Prada. I don't even know where where they're going to go there. I think for them, it all it it really it's got a lot hinges on 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 Monday at that point, and you know if you're going to make me pick that match now, not knowing what I'm going to get out of Monday and Georgia's at home, I'm, I'm going to take Georgia. I don't even know that. I think that we'll see a Florida, Tennessee, Tennessee rematch. It's just, it's hard with a health, with a completely healthy Monday and what it adds to their doubles. I would say for sure, I would take Tennessee. I just don't know that we have that yet. I haven't, haven't seen it. So Harper, put it on a bulletin board. Yeah. I think we see Florida, but regardless, whether it's Florida, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, I take Florida in that semi. Kentucky, South Carolina. Uh, I mean, South Carolina's had their number. They're just a better doubles team in a match that's that tight and with the Carolina. And I've look, I've said it all year. I'm not backing down now. South Carolina's suspect at five and six. They've got doubles and four guys. If they get something from James Story or whoever they play at six, it's a bonus point. But to date, at least against the teams in the SEC outside of Florida, doubles in those four guys have been enough. And I think it'll continue to be enough. And I'll take South Carolina. So then we see Florida, South Carolina. And honestly, that's the match I want to see because that's the match we never got to see when everybody was out due to the, you know, the injury, the car accident, whatever that South Carolina had on their, on their trip the week before and, uh, and had to play, you know, pull three guys from the lineup. It, they, you know, that's obviously not even a match. So let's see the real Florida-South Carolina match. 
I think that's very fair. Two things before we move on to the women, and I promise it's after midnight here now, Thursday morning. I promised I wouldn't keep you too late. I've already violated that promise, so we'll do the women in 15 minutes or less, and I do apologize for the unequal coverage here. We'll, I, we'll make up for it next, on next week's show. That is my guarantee to all of you listeners. One, whenever someone says it is what it is, there was a radio segment on Detroit Sports Radio, 97 won the ticket. Um, 9 p.m. would always be, and that's when I would always be done practice, so I'd be driving home from tennis, and it was called It Is What It Is with Sean Belegian, and it was the 9 p.m. segment, and I always go, It Is What It Is with Sean Belegian, and like that would be the lead-in, and so I just hear that song, and I get a, like a flashback, like again, I, it's, whiff, it's whiplash, whenever someone says the phrase It Is What It Is, in my head I go, with Sean Belegian, um, and it's like that's that's what I hear whenever that phrase is I mean, used. Look, that was my polite way of saying Prada's been terrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Okay. okay. I could have said that. But, yeah, this time, well, I, this is why we have to wrap because I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah, um, no. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it, again, that's objective. Uh, it's objective. Yeah, that, that's the case. I don't think I'm going to get it. You and know, I also think yeah. he would say that if you asked him, what do you think about your season? He'd go, huh. Yeah. Like, that would be I, it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I haven't been able to, what, and again, I, he, he'd probably be the first one to tell you that whatever the injury, it's no excuse. I just haven't been able to win. Right. You know, so it's not been a good year and now's his chance to either, either he's going to play and he needs to turn it around or they're going to play Gannon. But you know, it's just, it hasn't been a good spot for them. Here's the second and final thing. If you offered truth serum, or as it's known in your neck of the woods, bourbon to Brian Shelton, and you said, coach, you lose this conference tournament, but it means you get Sam and Ben back next year. Do you think bourbon deep, how many bourbons before he says, yes, I'll take that trade. I'm thinking like one probably knocks Shelton on the floor. Uh, I, you know, I don't think Brian's a drinking guy. Give me a Diet Coke and I'll take the trade today. Yeah. Yeah. Like one bourbon he's done and he's, and he's taking it. Yeah. Yeah. in the in the darkest, deepest depths of uh, of not and not having to admit it to anyone, he, absolutely he takes that deal. If it's Shelton, Riffis, and Neve as the core, regardless of what four, five, and six are, even though it's Benetto and Shelby, is that team top five for you next season? If they bring back Riffis and Shelton, are they top five? Yep, I agree with you. I I do. If they bring back one, let me think. If I've got Shelton, Neve. Benetto, who knows whether I have Goodyear or not. Um, but they've got a, a recruiter too. It, Shelby. Yeah. yeah. No Tanner. Still Prob- have Perlman. Prob- probably. Yeah. I mean. It's, it's interesting. Again, that's one of the things for us to monitor here. It's the biggest story we aren't talking enough about because we want to watch May and, like, we'll worry about 2023. I don't know, in September. Um, but it's fascinating. Like, yeah, what does Florida look like next year? It's kind of – to see that lineup. Well, you remember the 2018 Virginia diaspora where it was like all the seniors are gone and Weirsholm had a season-ending injury and Soderlin had a season-ending injury? It's like that again. And it's like, no way is this going to happen again. And it might. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the crux of my argument. All right. Let's get to the women so that I can let you go to bed. Um, 
you look at the projections here on the SEC women's side, and again, we've already had two first-round matches given uh, the presence of Missouri on the women's side, but you look overall at the results, excuse me, we've seen uh, unfold. How about the Kentucky women? 12-1 and entering conference play. They do not earn a win during the course of the regular season. They were up a doubles point and had three points on the board at home against Missouri. They end up losing that match, but credit to them, in my opinion, beating one of the hottest teams on the SEC women's side in the home stretch to knock off LSU 4-2 today. Get a conference victory. Now, you look for Kentucky. They're 61 in the current rankings, LSU 66. I don't know how much this does uh, to help Kentucky, but certainly now they've got a shot at a South Carolina team, and you know, who knows? We've seen, I suppose, crazier things happen on the flip side. Mississippi State, an impressive win for them. And I think this Mississippi State team, despite being 11-15, again, is pretty solid. 64 in the rankings. They earn a victory over Missouri to advance. Uh, and now Missouri going, uh, excuse me, now they're going to take on Arkansas. You look at those four second round matchups, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Old Miss, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, which is the most appealing to you? I mean, again, I, I kind of want to lean down to that 7-10 Alabama-Tennessee match. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Because uh, I mean, Alabama, yeah. after beating Georgia last weekend, like now you're playing with house money. Because you look for this Alabama team, to your point, they are now up to number 40 in the rankings, 15 and 10 overall. They're what, like five under, you know, they're not in the last, they're just outside of the last four in. I mean, that win over Georgia is just like, it's a season saver. And so that's the question is, is that urgency still there against a Tennessee team that's 26 in the country, 13 and eight overall? They're going to view that as a disappointment. Like, with the veterans they had back coming this season with McGiffin and Molinaro and Kutzer, to, you know, go along with the Adashinas of the world and uh, the Tomases of the world that they, you know, that emerged this season, they felt like they were a top 16 seed. They felt like they should be having the season Auburn's having this year, let's say. Um, and so this Tennessee team is hungry going into the postseason tournament. I agree. How much does this Alabama team have left in the tank? Because a win, I mean, then they're definitely in. They're still sweating, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, they're sweating because if they lose right now, that projects them at like 41, Ugh. right? And that's, I mean, you're getting, you're really dicey at 41 because now you're up, you know, you've still got three more effectively runs of the rankings to go. You got next week's rankings and then double run the week after that. And all these teams then still have their conference tournament to play and chances to get around you. So 41 is not a spot. You know, you want to be inside that top 40, you know, by Friday or Saturday because of all the other things that can happen. So if you, if you put yourself down on that 41 line and you've got teams like Notre Dame in the ACC SMU, who's got still plenty of opportunity. Ah, it's it's tenuous at best. I think they're probably, you know, in the end, they probably end up in either way, but they certainly would rather not leave it, leave it to chance. But yeah, that that's what makes it interesting to me is they've got to be coming off a high in beating Georgia and feeling, I mean, that you just don't fluke your way, you know, 
you don't fluke your way to winning a match like that. You got to get four points. Uh, so even without Riasco and Villanova, it's still remarkable because you know Alabama's playing a walk-on at, at six uh, in that match, and it's like to earn that victory. Yeah, it's it it's yeah that that makes for uh, it makes for me a very a very intriguing match. Uh, you know, and then obviously obviously the other one has to be that the you know the old Miss. Ole Miss Vandy match because old Miss, you know, Vandy's in. Old Miss is not. Old Miss is in a must-win situation in that eight-nine match. Neither one of them figures to beat uh AM, but Old Miss can at least get themselves uh into the conversation if they can not if they can pull off that win over over Vanderbilt. Without it, they're they're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, the big thing for this Vanderbilt team, they won, you know, five of their last six conference matches or five of their last seven, exclude, excuse me. And, you know, again, played their way into the tournament, a massive victory 5-2 at Tennessee a couple of weekends ago. And then to take care of business uh, against the Mississippis at home to conclude their season, you know, again, they just beat Mississippi 4-1, Four days ago, hard enough to beat a team twice in a season, let alone to have to do it in four, you know, four days. Now the depth on this Vanderbilt team, you know, they swept a couple of teams three through six down the season's home stretch. That's the strength of this roster. So frequently, you know, they also view themselves as the Floridas of the world, as the Auburns of the world. And I do think all of these teams, Tennessee, the common thread is the depth they all have. And I would throw Arkansas in the mix in that conversation as well. Those five teams, extraordinarily deep. And that's why South Carolina as the outlier is so fascinating because for them all season long, it's been, you know, Hamner, Ackley, how are we going to find two more? Well, Ackley struggled. Uh, Ackley, excuse me. Hamner struggled down the stretch of the season. A couple of losses, right? Um, she loses to Ovunk of Auburn. She loses to Kessler of Florida, two of the experienced number one singles player in the conference. And yet, the South Carolina team is still finding ways to have success. And they should beat Kentucky pretty comfortably. But then they're going to take on a Georgia team that's licking its wounds. You know, Georgia went 0-2 last weekend. Not only the loss to Bama, but then the loss without Liam Ma, albeit, but the loss to Auburn as well. And so, South Carolina is the outlier team because I see all of the depth. And Arkansas has sneaky good depth. And again, Florida, I still think is a team I'm trying to learn more about. I have no idea how good this Florida team is. Are they closer to Texas A&M levels of good or are they closer to Arkansas levels of good? I mean, certainly they're projected to play Arkansas in their first match. That's going to be a fascinating rematch. I believe a 4-3 regular season victory from Florida. The thing to me is, are any of those teams, Georgia included, Auburn, who has had a breakthrough season for head co- coach Caroline Lilly, and this Auburn team is really, really good, like very, very deep. They win doubles, and when they win doubles, they're just going to find three singles victories because Yu Chen's probably winning at six, and then Axon and Sari Flack, two of the three are, of them are getting the job done. Like, again, this Auburn team is very good. And they're the ones to me, I think the only ones, because they could take doubles against A&M. Like, to me, they're the biggest threat to the Aggies. But I do think the Aggies are on a clear-cut tier on their own here in conference play. And I expect them to complete the season sweep, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure only Vanderbilt has done over the past few years. Yeah, it's hard to pick against that. I mean, uh, to me, on paper, 
the team that should be able to challenge him is Georgia. But I mean, boy, what a I mean, Kopik and Kowalski have been good. I thought they were going to be exceptional. I thought yeah, they were like, going to be like 15 and one this season. Yeah, Kowalski like should be like undefeated where at the bottom of the line. Right? And she's I mean, been like 11 and five or something like that, which is yeah. good. But you expected her to go undefeated to your point right. almost. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I still, you know, I would like to think that's the team that poses the most danger. But boy, just they certainly again, it's back to the whole momentum. You don't just lose two matches the weekend before going into conference tournament. And then all of a sudden go, Oh, now it's time to play. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't buy into that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, no, granted, if you're, when you're missing a player, okay, I get it. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's different. But if, if it's the same players out there, mm, I, I don't know. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I would have to say A&M is, you know, has to be the odds on favorite to, they ran the gauntlet during the regular season and probably do it again here. Uh, and I definitely don't think they really get much of a test. I, you know, you you asked the question, is Florida close? You know, which end are they closer to? I think they're closer to Arkansas than they are to Texas A&M. Yeah. No, I mean, so, A&M's been so good. So yeah, good I mean, I think, I think A&M basically, you know, yes, it's not going to be easy, but they they probably end up fairly comfortably walking into the finals. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, again, for this A&M team who went to Georgia and beat them 7-0, was that, you know, there were a bunch of three-set matches in that match, but they all went the way of A&M. And again, this Georgia team, it's the tale of two stories, right? Because they have Kopik and they have the Kowalskis of the world, but then they have the Villanova and Riascos who haven't been in this stage, who have just played four grinding months of the college tennis season. How much gas do they have left in the tank? You know, for A&M, Makarova, Goldsmith, they've been here before. Katia Townsend, she's been here before. At the same time, Stoyan and Pilet are freshmen, and Branstein may be a junior, but it's her first full season of play. It is going to be interesting. Um, again, from a seeding perspective, AM has clinched their spot as a top eight seed. Right now, number six. Well, I think they have. They're number six in the projected rankings. I imagine they'll hold on to a top eight seed, even with so many teams, four of them in the ACC right now in the top eight, you know, Auburn's 12, Georgia's 14, Florida's 15. Florida's the interesting one because UCLA, USC, and Stanford, if memory serves me correct, are 16, 17, and 18 right now. So one, someone in the Pac-12 is getting a top 16 seed. Give me the scenarios for each of these teams. I think A&M's a lock to be the top eight. Are they the only one who can be? Uh, Well, I wouldn't say they're the only one that can be because, I mean, if, like that's what I'm saying. Is two wins against this group enough for a Florida, for a Georgia, for an Auburn? Yeah, I was gonna say if you if you take Florida right now at at 15 and and say that they beat uh, they they beat A and M and they beat say you know whether it's Georgia or Auburn, could that could that get them there? Maybe uh, I mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't done that that math. I think it's more likely uh, that you know a team like uh, for sure. If Auburn were to run the table, if they beat Georgia and they beat, say, Texas A&M, that's going to get them up there. Uh-huh. I mean, they, they could still make it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it gets a little little more questionable when you get to Georgia and then much more questionable when you get to when you get to Florida. But how many wins do teams like Tennessee and South Carolina need to get into the top 16 hunt? Do they have to run the table or are two wins enough? 
like a, a final appearance. Because I do think a Tennessee team is good enough with the depth they have to beat an Auburn, a Georgia, a Florida, maybe everyone but an A&M and make that run to the final. Like I, I don't think that's an impossibility. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Yeah, let's let the professor do some math here as I filibuster uh, for him. I mean, again, yeah, I'll, I'll, all I'll of these teams. Tennessee well, just to look Auburn. at the draws again, Florida projected to play Arkansas in the four or five. You've got A and M projected to play uh, Ole Miss or Vandy in that one eight nine. Georgia projected to play South Carolina in the three six. Auburn projected to face Tennessee. I mean, there it is for Tennessee. Win over Auburn, win over Georgia, win over either Florida or an A and M. Three top twenty wins in a three day span, like that does numbers for you. Or two yeah, of them I, even. Yeah, it doesn't look it doesn't look like because uh, Tennessee I, would I, have the best the case two, scenario. So the two win scenario, if they if Tennessee were to beat Alabama uh, and to beat Auburn, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. If so, they beat Auburn and Georgia, though, but so they would, yeah, they would definitely then have to go and beat Auburn and then beat, uh, then beat Georgia. And I think, take me one second here. I think that's probably going to be. Uh, so that's what I meant, by the way, when I said two wins. I apologize. I mean they would have to beat Auburn and a Georgia. So get actually, all the way. Actually, that only gets them to eighteen as so of right that. Now. And if they can't do it, mm. it gets them close, but that's probably still not enough. So yeah, that basically means yeah, you got to run the table. All which, you got to win the whole thing. Which means all of them, from Tennessee to Arkansas, all the way through, have to run the table if they want to make a top sixteen push. But again. Depth has been the strength of this conference. I think the gap between Vanderbilt and Auburn is quite minimal. And, like, again, I do think there's a reason A&M ran the table undefeated, the depth they have, the doubles point they have. Now, of course, Georgia's very good. Auburn's very good, and they're getting second looks at this A&M team. That said, I've been on the Aggies all year long. I expect them to win this conference tournament. What say you? Yeah, I I mean— I feel bad picking both number one seeds, but I know, I, I which means we're guaranteed to be wrong. Yeah, there's no way we're right, right? But I, I don't know how you I mean, honestly, without picking A and M, the only team I feel like I could pick is Georgia, but after last weekend I can't do that. So I'll I gotta stay with A and M. Yeah, that's fine. I again I think there's gonna be an upset. I think either Kentucky beats South Carolina like there's gonna be upsets that happen in this tournament, let's be clear. Um but yeah, uh, there's Georgia and Florida both went undefeated in conference play. And to your point, we never got to see the real Florida versus South Carolina men's matchup. That is one that would certainly be nice just to complete the Rubik's Cube on this SEC season. But it's going to be a really fun conference tournament. And, of course, again, it's been so fun for us to have the opportunity to cover all the SEC action this year. A huge thank you to the SEC schools. I know how many of these coaches just – badgered the SEC administrators over and over again to give us that opportunity. We are immensely grateful for that chance. Hopefully, all of you tuned in and enjoy our coverage. That way, we can convince them to let us continue to do it here moving forward in the future. Have to give a massive shout-out to two coaches in particular. Again, Allison Ojeda at Tennessee, Cedric Kaufman at Kentucky. They were truly spearheading this effort. They were the one who day after day were badgering me and saying, Alex, we need this from you. Alex, we need Y from you. We need Z from you because if you send us this, we can make it happen and so immensely grateful for their efforts for all the support the countless coaches showed as well for the gear chris and i have been spoiled with you know i'm still missing a few 
from our collection, I won't lie, but that said, it gets more immense every single day, so very appreciative for that fact, and obviously super appreciative to Super Producer Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of editing job to do day in, day out. Also, a massive shout-out to our friends at ten- uh, at Turner Tennis. Remember, you can join uh, the Turner team by emailing sales at uniquesports.com today. Look at that beautiful Auburn bucket hat. That is just... Sure. what. One for you, one for me. Coach Hushiar took care of us. Yeah, we love you very much, Coach. We love all of these coaches again. With all that said, Chris, any final thoughts as we look towards the final SEC week of the year? No, I'm I'm ready. And, you know, the 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 only downside to me is I'm I'm on the road Friday, so uh, with you not being on the call, I, I have no idea how I'm gonna like try to keep up with every, you know. Me trying to badger my wife while I'm driving to tell me what scores are is just not going to work. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's a friend of the program, so I can make this joke. What day of the week does Luke Jensen call Johannes this year? Does he go Johannes Friday? Johannes Thursday? Is he going to get it right? Is it going to be Monday? Like, what do we go with? <laughs> uh, with that said again you can tune into all the coverage on espn plus watch espn whatever they're calling it nowadays uh with that said for my fantastic co-host chris Hallioris, who is far too kind in giving me his time our super producer daniel westoff our friends at turn of tennis and from all of us here at both cracked records and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin chris what do we tell the people hey great shot and we will see you all next week thanks everyone 